Welcome back to middle school. It's a zoo out there, so just be cool. Don't speak too loud, try to fit in. But if you don't, then you can be in. everyone and a welcome to the outfit repeaters an unofficial lizzie mcguire recap podcast i'm your host marissa Cantor, and with me as always is sam chung hello hey sam hi why are you being so short with a me <laughs> i'm not being short with a you <laughs> i'm just saying hello you're not gonna cue me up for the big introduction uh what big introduction <laughs> Only the news that you have been waiting for for the last, I think, six months since we announced it. Sure. Yeah. No, please uh, share your news. I'm I'm all ears. Yeah. So I am so excited to announce that Older and Wiser, a podcast about all things publishing and younger, is happening and it will be premiering with the... Season one, episode one, pilot episode of Younger, tomorrow, March 31st. Wow, look at that. <laughs> what? It is very exciting. You seem underwhelmed, and I don't appreciate. I'm not underwhelmed. I don't, I don't appreciate the passive-aggressive wow. <laughs> There's no passive-aggressive wow. I've put a lot of work into this podcast. Also, um, you made me write you a theme song. I think that made is a bit of an overstatement. You came up with that all on your own volition, and it's adorable. I mean, duh, I wrote it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, it's uh, very exciting. It's exciting that um, we're so busy now that we, we both have two podcasts. There's content coming out, you know, three days a week now here. I guess we're just very bored. <laughs> this pandemic needs to end. When can we get our vaccine already? Yeah, I don't know if I'm bored or I'm just overscheduling myself. I think it's probably the latter. Um, but your co-host, Kelsey, I think she got tired of me calling her out because she sent us a question this week. Did you see that? I did not. I mean, it wasn't a very... <laughs> She's going to get mad at me again. It wasn't a very <laughs> deep question. <laughs> she said... Uh, at Outfit Repeat Pod, question for the next episode, and then all caps, since you called me out, uh, what do you think Gordo even likes about Lizzie? I feel like we talked about that a little bit on the last episode of the podcast, and we came to the conclusion that there's nothing to like. I mean, she's cute. She's his best friend. Gordo's always had a crush on Cousin Amy, but it never felt appropriate. And for some reason, when he looks at Lizzie, he just sees Cousin Amy. He can't really explain it because they're not related at all, but <laughs> it just happens for him. I don't know. It just clicks. No, I mean, I think that um, he likes being able to mansplain things to her. Gordo likes to impress Lizzie with his intelligence. That was a big thing in this episode. He just wants to impress her. Lizzie is also like a person who needs validation from other people. And I think he likes that she comes to him for validation. Yeah. I don't know why they're friends. Uh, because they they imprinted on each other as babies. 
<laughs> kind of like oh when a duck, when a baby duck sees like a just any animal, and oh. they they happens to imprint on each other, and now they're stuck with oh, each no, other. No, no, no. I associate imprinting with the trauma that was breaking dawn, so we can't talk about it. I. I still have not seen any of those movies, and so I don't know what you're talking about. But but you know what I'm talking about, right? I have no idea what you're talking about. The only scene of Twilight that you've shown me is them playing <laughs> baseball. An objectively great scene. No, imprinting is this whole concept in the books where... So it's it's a werewolf thing. It's a Jacob thing. So the werewolves, they all have their like soulmate, their person that... They just they just lock eyes with them and they imprint on them and that's it. They are they are bonded for life. Now, this is all great until breaking dawn, where we learn that Jacob sees the creepy CGI thing that is Renesmee, Bella and Edward's child, and immediately imprints on her. What? Yes, he imprints on a baby. So then there's this whole thing where he felt so pil- so pulled to Bella all of these years because he was really going to imprint on one of her embryos. Oh, geez. <laughs> so it's kind of like it. I'm triggered. But the the concept of imprinting is not well, is not a Twilight original concept. Well, Stephanie Meyer ruined it. I don't even know how to respond to that. But um, speaking of big movie franchises, Marissa, our most recent Marvel uh, movie was Iron Man 3 as we continue to move through the MCU. And spoiler alert for anyone who has not seen Iron Man 3 almost eight years later, but um, we're going to spoil it a little bit. (laughs) Marissa, I have never seen you so happy As the moment when Pepper Potts falls into a fire, presumably dead forever. (laughs) This was pretty much my reaction. I was just like gleefully laughing. (laughs) I wanted to give give my full MCU update though, because it's been a week. We've watched three movies since the last recording. It's been three movies? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Avengers, Thor 2, Mm -hmm. and Iron Man 3. Yeah, I mean, arguably, uh, in my opinion, Iron Man 3 and Thor 2, not super strong movies, probably don't need them in in the long run, but they were really kind of just, you know, finding their way until the bigger MCU kind of came to light. See, I actually really enjoyed Iron Man 3, I think more than Iron Man 2. So here's the thing. I am in to this for the character moments. And then as you have seen, I just kind of tune out during the action scenes. And I think that Iron Man 3 is a really great character movie for Tony Stark. I really like to see the post-Avengers PTSD that is happening and sort of like going into his psyche and mental health. I like his relationship with Harley, which is very... Like, it's a precursor to his relationship with Tom Holland's Spider-Man. I really liked all the character things we saw from Tony Stark in Iron Man 3. I don't know. Iron Man Iron Man 3 is a little bit too melodramatic for my tastes. It's like, oh, we just had uh, aliens try to uh, take over the Earth. But, oh, no, someone's kidnapped the president of the United States well, on his plane. Well, let's, that's... Go f- <laughs> let's go save him. Well, I think that's been my issue with the Iron Man franchise from the beginning is it's very 
you know, military industrial complex and very Merca and patriotic propaganda. <laughs> but, but your favorite character is Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> what? You I, might want to stop now before you embarrass you before you inadvertently embarrass yourself. What does that mean? Iron Man is too America military propaganda than Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> No, I do think that Tony Stark is my favorite character so far on like a, like in terms of like character complexity. I'm very excited to watch the next Captain America movie because I do love me Chris Evans. And I still think the ending of Captain America has been my favorite ending to a movie so far. I had a date. Mm -hmm. But I also want to talk about Thor 2, which I think was probably my least favorite movie so far. Okay. And it's just for the amount of, significant things that happen in that movie you would think that they would put more care into it like there was the all these big moments for thor right his i mean spoilers his mother is killed loki is presumed dead the best part of that movie was easily cat dennings uh yeah i mean no no one clamors for thor too thor ragnarok i'm waiting (laughs) (laughs) and then the avengers it was just cool to see the inception of you know i saw endgame i know how it ends now i'm seeing how it begins mm-hmm. and there was some great like the interplay between the different characters all coming together uh marissa this episode of lizzie mcguire that we're going to watch today was very apropos and i don't know if you know this but while i was in florida uh, my family and i got very into the board game clue my mom still had her board game clue from when she was a child and it's very old and i uncovered it inside a cabinet and we uh, played it several times. And so I found this episode to be, you know, very coincidentally timed. I did not know that. I always loved Clue. This episode threw me back to my experience at a murder mystery party. When were you at a mis- uh, murder mystery party? It was my day job's like Christmas party. Last time we had a Christmas party. It was something. Was it a Christmas party? I don't know. We threw axes one year. And at some point, we did a murder mystery party at a bar. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you did a murder mystery party. Uh, What was your character? I don't remember. Oh, my goodness. This story is underwhelming. It was inconsequential, but it was really fun. It was a similar premise where, you know, a patriarch has died. Everybody has motive um, because the will. No, all I remember from. That night really is my boss just reading the will in a really bad Southern accent. And I was triggered by just the amount of bad accents that were happening (laughs) in this episode. At your mystery party, did you have to accuse somebody in a similar vein to the board game Clue? Where you go, "Um, I suggest that Miss Scarlet killed Mr. Body in the parlor with... This candlestick, ridiculous murder weapon, but (laughs) this (laughs) candlestick. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And I don't know, in this episode, it really seemed like Lizzie and Gordo were the only people who were even playing. Like there were just a lot of character moments with like the other people involved, but nobody else was as invested. I mean, um, Joe was invested. Well, yeah, nobody was more invested than than (laughs) Joe McGuire. Joe McGuire super invested. Yeah. These ones that break form can really go either way, but I enjoyed this one. 
I enjoyed maybe the first 17 minutes of this one. And then in the last four minutes, I think my eyes disappeared somewhere in the back of my head. You didn't like the, you know, YA friends to lovers, awkward, earnest feelings that were happening. Oh, man. Just a, a replay of last episode. Gordo, how did you feel about this whole endeavor? You're out of Sam has been playing this song way too much in the past week. He has played it in the car. He has played it on the piano. It's just, it uh, it applies to so many different uh, circumstances. For example, you and I were playing tennis the other day. You hit one out of the court. <laughs> Couldn't reach it, but it was so close. You really had to throw that in there, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, that's just one example, but, you know, many things have been out of reach, but so close. But yeah, I think that for the first time, we are seeing things happening in a way that is a bit more sequential than anything we've seen before. This is all going to get messed up in two episodes, but we're kind of seeing a character arc or a a romantic arc, I guess. Again, I don't think we would have gotten this if Miranda was here. Like, I think they're just trying to uh, fill the void left by Miranda with this, uh, you know, subplot that nobody asked for. And speaking of, uh, was Miranda in this episode? But I'm not going anywhere. No. Still out of town. <laughs> and they mention it all the time. They, uh, they take roll call at, like, the beginning of the episode, and they're like, is Miranda here? No, she's still, where did they say? She's still. She's uh, just still out of town. Out of town. What does that even mean? <laughs> It's almost worse that they keep bringing it up. Yeah. No, I don't appreciate it. But I do think that of the Miranda-less episodes we've seen so far, I enjoyed this one the most. Not to say that I still don't miss Miranda because I do, but there was a lot of good stuff happening here and a lot of fun character moments and dynamics to explore. I know. Do you really think Miranda would skip a British murder mystery? I think not. (laughs) I know she would have come in full Union Jack. I know this is this is the perfect kind of activity for her. We're supposed to uh, anticipate that she missed first a a school function, a school dance, and now this murder mystery party thrown by Ethan Kraft of all people. Now you can go out with Ethan Kraft. No, I totally agree. I feel like there's a lot going on in this episode, and I really am just excited to jump in if you're ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Cool. So today we are talking about Lizzie McGuire, season two, episode 23, Clueless. In this episode, Lizzie and gang take part in a whodunit, and Lizzie realizes her true feelings for Gordo. Spoilers. This episode aired on January 31st, 2003. Yeah. Do you think there were alternate endings filmed? I don't think so. I think that it's really weird Again, what we're about to get because so this sequence of episodes, I would say from Lizzie's 11 onward to the next episode that we will be recapping next week. It's very clear that this they're ramping up this Gordo thing ahead of the movie. And the next episode very clearly is leading into the movie and is supposed to be the season finale but then there are still going to be 10 episodes or so to watch after that. Mm-hmm. We've been saying things make no sense. Let me just warn you, they're really about to make no sense in two weeks or so. 
Oh, geez. Okay. Well, that's encouraging. But jumping into this episode, we are just full murder mystery party for the majority of the episode. We have a crafty opening, a very brief opening, but very effective. That is a snippet from the party itself. We have Lizzie in a wedding dress. Cousin Amy is there. Kate is there. Is Lizzie marrying Ethan Kraft? Is this a dream sequence? No. You get a scream from Joe McGuire. His lordship has been murdered. Oh my goodness, it is a murder mystery party. Cut to theme song. Um, so we learn in the next scene that uh, Ethan is uh, having this party at his house, but he can't have it at his house actually because apparently his house needs to be fumigated. And uh, if they do it there, they'll all get asphyxiated. Asphy- 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 gassed. <laughs> How is my Ethan? A plus Ethan. Yeah, very, very good. Yeah, it sounds like the craft house has some termites happening. And this is just such a bummer because, as you mentioned, he's supposed to have a party this weekend. But guess what? The party can be at Lizzie's house. Lizzie can just offer up her house. Yeah, Lizzie, God knows Lizzie knows how to throw a good party. Yo, 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 busting some monster jams. And she double checks that there is no drinking, which I thought was interesting. I think that was in response to Ethan saying someone's going to get iced. Yeah, fair. I just think it's noteworthy that Disney Channel would even reference drinking to this audience. The bigger story here and something that I want to talk about is the fact that our pure himbo, Ethan Kraft, is hosting a murder mystery party. And this is one of my favorite character things for him. It's like, of course, of course, Ethan Kraft. Yeah, I mean, why not, right? My bigger question is uh, this guest list is absolutely crazy to me. <laughs> it's really chaotic. First of all, Cousin Amy is invited. Why is Cousin Amy invited? She's not in middle school, but she's just here, like, at school, ready to get her role. <laughs> that, like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, so I don't really understand that. Um, Veruca, I guess, you know, this is a continuation of these past couple episodes that we've seen where Miranda's gone. They're like, well, I guess the budget's opened up. <laughs> we can bring some of our guest stars back. But, yeah, Veruca's here. Larry's here. And then, of course, Kate and Gordo. Claire would have made more sense than Cousin Amy. Claire would have made a lot more sense than Cousin Amy. That is very correct. And Cousin Amy didn't even need to do that much. No, she was just a body in the room. Mr. Body? Ooh. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I liked the line about how Larry's invited because he saved Ethan's life once. Pulled me out of the way of a parade float. So then... Everybody receives their roles. Now, why this happens at school is very confusing, I think, to both of us, especially with the presence of Cousin Amy. Like, did she just break into this middle school to participate in this character selection process? But we have the roles. And let me just tell you, it was a process to write down all of these roles. I think we, like, rewound a couple times to make sure we got everything. Um, Ethan, of course, is going to be... Clive McGuffin, heir to the fortune, about to wed, what's her name? Penelope. Penelope Featherstone. Penelope Featherstone. That is like adjacent to Bridgerton's Penelope Featherington. Sure. I mean, I didn't watch Bridgerton, but I'll take (laughs) your word for it. It's true. That's her name. 
Then Gordo picks, and he is the role of Aubrey Carstairs, Lord MacGuffin's old war buddy. And he has some angst about this, but we'll get to that. Yeah, I mean, if this was my party, you wouldn't be able to repick. You gotta, you gotta stick with your first pick and just live with it. Yeah, Gordo would be marrying Ethan Craft. Yep, that's just the way it goes. <laughs> because gender is a construct, and this is a game. Yeah, just deal with it, Penelope. And then Kate selects, and she is Esme Upshaw, a children's book author. I love that for Kate, and she really channels her inner children's book author later on in the episode. It's a whole new Kate. Does she? Very kind. I mean, there's an- very compassionate. Okay. I mean, you can be mean and be a children's book author. That is very true. <laughs> it wasn't like Mary Poppins lady, like super hard to deal with. Well, she just didn't want Disney to ruin her books, which like fair. Cousin Amy is Desiree Fireberry, a bored, tempestuous heiress. Veruca is Fiona St. John, a London actress. Larry Tudgeman is Guy Gaviola, a Hollywood idol from Rio de Janeiro. And that just leaves one Penelope Featherstone for Lizzie McGuire. Oh, wow. What a coincidence. I know. Surprise, surprise. Lizzie gets the best part opposite Ethan Craft. And after the character selection, Gordo is like, eh, about this. He's very angsty. He's like, great, once again, I will get to be the low-key best friend that nobody notices. Just a footnote to Ethan Craft. Very insecure. I mean, if he was concerned about this, he should have remained Penelope Featherstone. Then, you know, people would have noticed him. It would have been his wedding. It's so, true. You, you know, played yourself. Yeah, you did this to yourself. I feel no sympathy for you. Like, if you, <laughs> you had the role right in your hand. You put it back in the bag. Then we cut to the party. And the rest of the episode unfolds from this night. Right from the start, we get a lot of bad slash borderline offensive accents happening. Marissa, can you show us how an accent is done? No. (laughs) I would also have a bad slash borderline offensive accent. That's why I can comment on how bad their accents are. Uh, Who who had a worse accent, Joe McGuire or Dick Van Dyke? Honestly, Joe's accent was the best accent. What are you talking about? Who had a worse accent, uh, Joe McGuire or Lin-Manuel Miranda? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> so we see all of the characters move through the party and interact with each other. Larry comes through as Hollywood Idol, Guy Gaviola. He is putting on the charm, and then he, like, tries to... F- what, like flirt with Ethan's stepmom? That's kind of the insinuation. Yeah, that was the vibe I got. Almost an MVP moment for Larry. <laughs> <laughs> if he had if he had stayed in character and just kept going with it, would have been an MVP moment. But, you know, it, he gets freaked out by it. So And what a what a night for Ethan's stepmom, who is portrayed as not the sharpest tool in the shed. No, not really. She's also portrayed as kind of a gold digger, which is interesting to me because from what we know about Ethan's background, his dad was having some money problems. Oh, she just wants Ethan's dirt bike. I mean, I guess that was over a year ago. He could have turned it around and maybe money problems were due to, I don't know, tax evasion. 
Or maybe his first wife just took everything. Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, there's like a moment later in the episode where she thinks that like where the death happens and Ethan's like, my father is dead. And she's like, oh, that means I get to inherit everything. I don't really get why she's there. She's there to quote unquote supervise. But why is she there again? Well, that's why she's there. Um, but but does, like, why does she need to supervise? Joe and Sam McGuire are there. I don't know, because I guess it was Ethan's party to begin with, so it would be, like, a little weird to be, like... I mean, it's already weird that this party is at Lizzie's house. I think they just wanted, honestly, to keep ranking on Ethan any way they know how and, like, bringing in this character who is, like, quote-unquote, like, dumber than he is was a way to do that. How did we meet Ethan's stepmom before we met Kate's mom? Nothing about... Any of these situations make sense. Yeah, I didn't I didn't need yeah. her. But that brings us back to the beginning of the episode. The opening scene replays. Joe screams. Sam McGuire is dead by poison. Who would do such a thing? That's that's the question. That's why they're here. Joe goes eleven thousand percent in this episode. This is all she's wanted for probably the past 10 to 15 episodes is just to be included <laughs> I know. in one of her, her children's activities. And so she's not going to take this lightly. She really gets into it. Slow down there, Dawson's Creek. The mystery is presented and now everybody has to figure out who murdered Sam McGuire. I don't know what his character's name was. I don't remember what the dead guy's name is supposed to be. Lord... Uh, MacGuffin. I get. Yeah, Lord I guess MacGuffin. he would be Lord MacGuffin. So, is this a? How does this all get set up? Like, is Joe the? Just does Sam have to set it up? So that because he would obviously know who the murderer was, and does he know what all the clues are? Like, how can somebody who's just participating also, or someone who's just uh in the game, like also be the game master? That is a great point. There is no game master. It is chaos. I would have loved in an alternate universe if I was rewriting this episode, let Matt McGuire be the game master. Yeah, because somebody has to like set the clues and uh, know what's going on. When you played your murder mystery, did the murderer know that they were the murderer? Yes. Okay, so they knew that they were the murderer. Yes, because the whole point if you're the murderer is to, it's like the hustler, right? If you're the murderer... Your whole job is to make sure people don't think you're the murderer. Yeah, but the clues would give away that you're the murderer regardless. Like, eventually, they'll find out that you were the murderer. That's true. Like, even if you were the murderer, if people find the clues, then there's nothing that you can really do unless you're actively murdering more people as the night goes on. Unless it turns into Among Us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the what you need to... Yeah, then it needs to devolve into you murdering other people to continue to conceal your identity. Like The Hustler. I mean, sure, like The Hustler, like Among Us, like, uh, you know, any of these games. So that's, I don't know, the so the setup of this game didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I feel like we could just, that's a whole other thing, diving into game theory of a of a murder mystery party. But I hear you. I think that thoroughness in plot devices is not the show's strong suit. So are we really surprised that we can so easily poke holes into the structure of this game? I guess not. And the first clue is just a giant liverwurst sandwich. What is a liverwurst? Uh, meat. 
not appealing sounding meat. <laughs> and uh, there's lipstick on the bread, and that's how we know that it was a woman. I feel like that is a really big clue to just like <laughs> instantly drop. Yeah, so that cuts out like half the people, I suppose. Yes. It can really only be Kate, Lizzie, Cousin Amy, or Joe McGuire. Or Veruca. I, I, I forgot Veruca was there. Sorry, Veruca. <laughs> how come Joe McGuire... That's and, so Veruca. How come Joe McGuire didn't have to pick a role for herself? Like, she just got assigned this role. And what role was uh, Ethan's stepmom playing? I don't even know. She should have been the game master. They should have... The things they could have done with Ethan's stepmom if they weren't just leaning into the easy and cheap jokes. I swear. We could have really had something here. So then Lizzie is scoping out the situation. She is approaching Joe, who is like wailing on the staircase. And what do you know? Matt, the inspector, bursts in. I am Inspector Pratt, and I am here to inspect. Was that the best line in the entire episode? I believe so. Can you play it again? I am Inspector Pratt, and I am here to inspect. What I don't, is that accent? Yeah, I don't understand the <laughs> accent, really. Um, it sounds like it's verging on maybe, like, wanting to be French, but <laughs> it just doesn't quite get all the way there. I am Inspector Pratt, and I am here to inspect. It's so good. I was wondering how they were going to involve Matt in this episode, and here he is. Yeah, here's Matt. Uh, as the Daniel Craig character. Yes. <laughs> Not enough screen time for Matt, I have to say. I know, you would think the inspector would kind of take the lead on this. Well, he very clearly just invented this role for himself. I mean, there be should have part. been an inspector. It's it's a it makes sense that this role was made up. Like <laughs> it does. there was a glaring error in the game that there wasn't an inspector. Even uh <laughs> even the game clue has Professor Plum. And we have Inspector Pratt. They break character for a moment because Lizzie wants Matt to go away, but mom kind of overrules Lizzie and she has to let him play. So he goes off to inspect. Meanwhile, Lizzie continues her investigation, pulling a paper out of Joe's hand and the maid had a boat ticket to France. That's pretty sus. Yeah, but here's Gordo just here to foil every theory that Lizzie comes up with. The maid was going to go to France uh, with Lord MacGuffin. That was Lord MacGuffin's handkerchief. And so he doesn't think that uh, Joe McGuire, or rather this maid, I don't know if the maid has a name. I think they were just calling her the maid. Do you really think that they would? I don't know. Um, but yeah, he doesn't think that she would have murdered him if they were going to go to France together. Yeah, and Gordo's really all up in Lizzie's space and ready to burst any of her bubbles in this episode. And this is just like a classic case of a man coming into a situation and mansplaining his theories. And, you know, spoiler alert, Lizzie McGuire was right from the jump. Yeah, but Gordo's playing the game. He, If Lizzie's right, then he should be casting some doubt in her mind. You know, you got to play the game. That's fair. He wants to win. He wants to impress her. Yeah, no one notices him. He's just the best friend, the quirky sidekick. I thought you didn't care what people thought, Gordo. 
And then we cut to, there are a bunch of, I guess you could say vignettes in this episode, like little character moments. What was that? <laughs> a vignette. A vignette? Yeah. I, what? A vignette? What is a vignette? Do you mean a vignette? Isn't it a vignette? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know that I've ever heard of a vignette. I've heard of a vignette. Are you, are you making this up? Am I being punked right now? Is this an <laughs> April Fool's joke? You're two days too soon. You know what? I'm just going to double down. It's a vignette. <laughs> it's like a... <laughs> a vignette. It's like a mix between a vignette and a beignet. It's just like a tasty <laughs> vignette. <laughs> you know what? That's what I meant all along. <laughs> so then we cut to Larry and Veruca. And there's a little... There's something between them. It's all that dwarf lord chemistry. Yeah, she's uh she does a little hair flip. They're talking about they're talking in character and then she does a little hair flip as the actress um oh my god, whatever St. John. Fiona. Fiona St. John. Fiona. And then uh Larry breaks character again and he's like uh you know, you look right in these old-fashioned clothes. <laughs> Saucy. They were born at the wrong time. In the wrong time. She's like, "Thanks. I always felt I was born in the wrong time." Mm-hmm. And so does Larry. But Veruca meant like the 1920s and Larry refers to like Middle Earth. So very different ideas of the wrong time. Do you know what Middle Earth is? It's a Lord of the Rings thing. Oh, that's correct. I do know that. I did have to read slash skim The Hobbit. So. All right. So then Lizzie and uh, Ethan enter the picture and Lizzie's like, hey, you know, once we solve this, we can spend all of our time together. She's still very much in the Fiona, no, not Fiona, uh, Penelope. Penelope character. Yes. Although she kind of wishes that this would actually play out in real life as well. Now you can go out with Ethan Kraft. Yes. She very much hopes that this fantasy can translate into reality. If only he were my boyfriend, I'd be the luckiest girl in all the land. Except... Gordo is really just interjecting himself at every moment. And Lizzie is getting annoyed that Gordo keeps stealing all of her clues. Yeah, he finds a wine glass that's supposed to be some sort of clue. And uh, Gordo's big message to Lizzie is that, you know, you can't both solve this murder mystery and impress Ethan. You should really choose one or the other. Which objectively makes no sense because... His motive in this entire episode is to both win the murder mystery and impress Lizzie. It's a little pot calling the kettle here. I know. Look at Gordon. Gord- yeah, Gordon. Look at you, like, uh, trying to sabotage this, this game from Lizzie's perspective. And, uh, yeah, not a good friend. Thanks for being such a lousy friend. I love how much airtime you're giving Miranda in this <laughs> Gone but never forgotten. But I'm not going anywhere. So Lizzie pulls Gordo outside to ask him, you know, what is going on? Why do you keep stealing my clues? Why? Like, just why? But Matt interrupts this confrontation, and he's holding Lizzie's ducky pajama pants. And he threatens to use them as a clue and embarrass her by showing them to everybody. Yeah, this is why there needs to be a game master. This game is very dangerously close to going off the rails. I mean, she they have already broken character outside. So Lizzie is full Lizzie. She threatens Matt with a wedgie. And once again, I just 
all the wedgie happenings and threats in the show are just very unrealistic to me. That's not your go-to move? No, it was not. I mean, I have a sister, so we were pretty ruthless with the hair, I have to say. <laughs> that was more our vibe. All right, um, and then Lizzie's like, Gordo, why are you so obsessed with winning? How dare you want to win this game? I'm going to win this game and uh, thereby impress Ethan. And then there's a montage. Yeah, and so here's the thing. I wrote in my notes here that we're now getting this weird, like, rivals dynamic. Like, there's this rivalry between Lizzie and Gordo. And, you know, nobody loves a rivals to lovers arc more than I do. But the problem here is that they, like, wedge this in. Like, halfway through the episode, three quarters into the series, it's just, it's too late. (laughs) Yes. Like, you have a very clearly defined friends to lovership happening in the series. You can't just plop a rivalry in. Like, a very manufactured rivalry at that. I don't think it's like a rivalry per se. I mean, Gordo just wants to, if Gordo solves the mystery right, then Ethan can't be impressed with Lizzie solving the mystery. So it's a self-serving thing. It's still it's still a rivalry, though, and they're competing against each other, considering they're the only two characters, again, Play, that... But you're playing one game. Playing a game doesn't make it a rivalry. It's just playing a game. I'm talking in, like, overarching rom-com tropes. You're getting a little too serious. I don't know where you're pulling a rivalry from. Well, then we get a whole montage of them. They're like in opposition. They're on opposite sides of like they both want to win. So that doesn't make it a rivalry. That's just one game that they're playing. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not a true like they try to make this weird rivals dynamic work and it doesn't work. I think no, we're- no, the Celtics. So Celtics Lakers have a rivalry. They have a history of, you know, playing each other in very tight games, not liking each other. The Celtics don't have a rivalry with, like, uh, the the Portland Trailblazers. You know, no one cares about <laughs> the relationship between the Celtics and the Portland Trailblazers. But the Celtics and the Lakers, that is a rivalry. And this is Lizzie Sam, and Gordo are the Celtics and Trailblazers. Sam, you're being a Gordo right now. Yeah, Stop. I just, I just think that this, you're, you're misclassifying this. I'm talking in, like broad rom-com trope happenings here but this isn't a broad rom-com trope because it's just like one event it's not like a pattern of events exactly so i don't think they're trying to do anything they're just trying to make a plot for one episode but imagine how much better the show would be if it was a rivals to lovers arc all i'm saying i think we're both saying the same thing different ways and we're not communicating well all i'm saying here is that there's this weird dynamic between them happening in this episode that feels very just like plopped in. They're trying to make us see this. It is a rivalry in the course of this episode and trying to manufacture this chemistry between them that just like doesn't exist by pitting them against each other in this one episode. That's just puberty. Oh my God. (laughs) Sam trying to mansplain to me what rivals are as if I didn't just write an entire book. That was rivals to lovers. I'm literally going to fight you. See, but that wouldn't be a rivalry because it would just be one fight. (laughs) Can we please move on? Sure. Killing me in this episode. (laughs) You really are. Sorry. Well, this can just be one vignette in the the story of our life. (laughs) Oh, my God. 
We missed another great line of this episode, the return of the Dirk. Oh, I thought you were going to say the moment when uh, Larry saved Ethan's life. <laughs> I already said that. You mentioned that already? I missed I it. I missed you saying that. Yeah, no, Larry saved Ethan's life, and I uh, I can't believe it. I Were you just not listening? Because I very clearly said that the best line in this episode was that line, and I read that line. So where were you? Because you were sitting right here. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention, <laughs> I guess. Do you think it was the parade that we just saw a couple episodes ago? I heard what you did for Nobby. Righteous. <laughs> the Christmas parade. It had to have been. Do you think that was the parade in question? Yes, that is canon. <laughs> Righteous. But yes, they are looking for clues. They have magnifying glasses. Joe is crying. They are dusting off evidence. They are like diluting liquids. They are, they are doing all the murder mystery things. And as I've already mentioned, Lizzie and Gordo are really the only people even playing the game, right? Yeah, I mean, it's Ethan's party. You'd think he'd have more of a stake in uh, trying to find the, uh, the murderer. And then we get what is, of course, my favorite scene in this episode. We get a great Lizzie and Kate moment. I think I want to play it. That's it. I've got it. You've got what, dear? <sighs> I know who killed Lord MacGuffin. I've got to gather everyone and give them my theory before that lousy Gordo beats me to it. Tisk tisk. So very good at figuring out mysteries, but so very blind as to see what's in front of your own nose. What are you talking about? Don't you see what's happening? Don't you see why Gordo's behaving this way? Um, yeah, because he wants to beat me. Wake up, Lizzie! Why does he want to beat you? Because he wants people to notice him. That's partly it. Gordo's human. He's probably just tired of being a doormat. Okay, but he does not have to be obnoxious to get noticed, Kate. Hello? He doesn't want just anybody to notice him. He wants you to notice him. Me? Everybody at school can tell Gordo's had a crush on you for, like... Ever. That's crazy, Kate. You've just been busy paying attention to Ethan. Gordo thinks if he wins, you'll pay attention to him. So why don't you do him a favor and yourself a favor, and I'll pay attention to Ethan. This is coming maybe like 20 episodes after Shirani. Shirani. I want to go back and revisit Shirani because <laughs> that con- that episode was so out of context and just random. <laughs> <laughs> and in the in the sequence of episodes that we watched this season, ac- yeah, that was like the season two premiere, right? Yes. It was just so weird that, you know, there's kind of like the first time we're introduced to Gordo having feelings for Lizzie, and then it's not addressed at all for maybe the next 20 episodes, and now here it is just very heavy. All at once. Yeah, that Shirani episode was wild, so wild in hindsight. I imagine, I imagine that Gordo was standing there um, with the flowers for Lizzie and just like there's that close-up on his face, right? But then if you angle out a little bit, there's Kate looking at Gordo, looking at Lizzie. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, how do you feel about Kate being the one to reveal this information? I mean, it's fine. I mean, honestly, anybody could have done it. It would have been funny if Ethan did it. Lizzie, Lizzie, Lizzie. Can't you tell? It's Gordon, bro. Gordo's had a crush on you for, like, ever. But I do love Kate in this role. I love how she starts in character and then just totally, wake up, Lizzie. I mean, she was going in and out of, (laughs) the accent was going, uh, coming and going a little bit. 
anyways. Yeah, and then we have the return of what I have dubbed as meaningful music. And Lizzie has to go reveal the killer person guy. Yes, so everybody's going to gather downstairs, and uh, Lizzie's going to explain the sequence of events that led to the mystery, but she's very conflicted about saying who the murderer was because maybe she should let Gordo win. But then if she does that, does that mean that she likes Gordo? How do feelings work? I don't know. I was just like, no, Lizzie, Lizzie, you you did this. Take the credit. Like, this just reads to me as a case of a woman making herself smaller to feed a man's ego. Really? I think that Lizzie just wants, like, anybody to like her. And so maybe Ethan is never going to like her, but now she's like, Maybe Gordo likes me. Someone likes me. And she just like wants somebody to like her so bad because she's so tired of just it being unrequited, unrequited, unrequited every time. Well, if Lizzie has been paying attention to her own life and her own story, even Kraft has made his feelings very clear. They are just friends. There was an entire episode all about it. (laughs) Yes. So she should know at this point where Ethan stands. She definitely should. But, you know, she's trying nonetheless. She just can't take no for an answer. Which is pretty concerning. Yeah. If we we were to dive deeper into that. Definitely is. But maybe Gordo is the savior in this situation because he, for some reason, likes Lizzie. Kelsey, we don't know why. And she's going to guess incorrectly. She guesses that it was Guy Gaviola. Larry, you are the murderer. (laughs) And Gordo is just chomping at the bit so ready to jump up. And be like, you're wrong. Yes, you are wrong. And then uh, he blames Joe, and he's correct. Huzzah! She is still very in character during the reveal. It's like, oh, I did it. And I had to do it again. He was a monster. A louse. And that is the closest thing to an accent you will ever get from me. I am Inspector Pratt, and I am here to inspect. And Ethan's like, wow, Gordo. You're like one giant brain. Except you have legs. Yeah, so I guess that concludes the party. No cake. Just murder. Just murder. (laughs) Yeah, and then Lizzie and Gordo are back on the porch because that is apparently where they go to have feelings now. I mean, that was where uh, Lizzie and Shirani had all of their feelings. True, the role of this porch. This porch has seen just many things. True. Yeah. Okay, I know that we have some qualms with... The relationship arcs and even just like how this budding romance is unfolding between Lizzie and Gordo. But I did really like this last scene. I know we're going to disagree because I know that this is the part in which, what did you say? Your eyes rolled back so far you can't see anymore. Yes, I saw my brain and it was like weirdly connected to my body in the words of Ethan Craft. I really liked it. I liked their performance. Um, I like the awkward, earnest YA energy. That's what I wrote in my notes. And it just, it brought me back to that period in my life and just the newness of, of feelings. And I thought it was really sweet and awkward in a good way. I just don't get it. Like, even so Gordo's all once again just like juiced up to tell Lizzie something he's inching towards her they're they're getting closer there under the porch and Sam McGuire ruins the moment 
He just comes out. He's a big Iron Chef fan. He's like, come on, you need to see this. And then he leaves again, and then they're alone again. And that was enough to rattle Gordo for the second consecutive episode. It's <laughs> to true. not say, like, that, he's nervous. That, that's, that's not how that would work, right? He's like, nervous. No, She's his best what? friend. No, like, at that point, you're, you've already, de- like, she already knows that you want to say something. And then he's like, oh, never mind. Like, what? <laughs> he's a scared BB. Like, in his head, he's like, this will change everything. The moment that oh, no. these words ridiculous. come out of my mouth, everything between us is going to change. And that is really scary. No, he just totally chickens out. He's like, like, there's no way. Like, you've pre- you've prepped yourself so much. You're going to do it now for two straight episodes. Just, like, tell her something. You're literally the only two people on the porch. Like, there's nobody else there. You've already made it weird by uh, announcing that you have an announcement. It's like, I have an announcement. And then, you know, you just don't announce the announcement. And everybody's like, well, that was weird, right? Like, well, I wonder what the announcement was. He's doing his best. He'll get there. And he, he even gets like three quarters of the way there. He's like, maybe sometime we could dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I know. He was and, so close. And but Lizzie's like, and Lizzie even like prompts him again. She's like, maybe sometime we could what? And he's like, Oh, nothing. <laughs> That's so weird. You know, as an anxious, awkward child, I feel for Gordo at this moment. Like he choked. He choked. It happens. Give him a break. You're I just, being no. I just don't. So come on, harsh. I don't buy it. Okay, no, as come if on you were now. this like suave middle school man child. Like at please. that point, yeah. Just like <laughs> just finish your sentence, please. Yeah. Now we have to drag it out for another ten episodes. Except not really, because the production order is so messed up that Gordo is going to totally forget that he even likes Lizzie. Huzzah! (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I mean, this episode description is a bit misleading, I think, because it says that Lizzie realizes her true feelings for Gordo, but that's not true. It's really Lizzie realizes that Gordo likes her. And what does that mean for her moving forward? Mm-hmm. But it means something because he leaves and she feels all flushed and lightheaded feelings. Yeah, I mean, I I can't wait for the resolution to this story, I guess. If you're waiting for a resolution, you might be disappointed. And that is all I'll say on that. Okay, I think that we have had enough with this episode. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about some outfits. Yeah, there's some wild ones here. Yes, as it is a murder mystery party, they're all dolled up in costume. Yep, so Lizzie's dressed as a bride. Like a flapper bride. A flapper bride? <laughs> yeah. It's how, a, it's how a, so? It's a flapper dress. The cut and the shape, it's very narrow. Scoop neck. The headband situation around her veil is very an homage to two flappers. Mm-hmm. Ethan is in a suit. Not a tuxedo. Not a tuxedo. He's got to go all in. Come on, Ethan. You're getting fake married. Uh, what about Kate as a children's author Esme? You know, she is sticking to her neutral color palette. Great hat. What era is this murder mystery supposed to take place? I think it's the 20s. Isn't that what Veruca says when they're talking about being out of this time? 
I mean, she said she imagined the 20s, but I, I don't know that that's the era of this murder. That was just her, that's just her ideal decade. Well, I think that's why she looks so good, Sam. But the 20s in, in England is much different than the 20s in the United States. Yeah, but that influence from the States came over. I watched Downton Abbey. The 20s in uh, the United States, people are going crazy. They can't drink. <laughs> <laughs> They're losing it. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, people in Europe are like hammered. That's how you get something like this. I am Inspector Pratt and I'm here <laughs> to inspect. That is, a, that is a hot take. All right, if you say so. Did Gordo dye his hair for this exercise? That was my question to you. Did he put some flecks of gray in his hair? He did. There it oh is. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Cousin Amy dressed up like a bird, so that's fun. Veruca, Veruca, too, to some extent. At first, I was like, "Who are you talking about?" Uh, both of them, I suppose. Yeah, well, so many feathers. feathers. Um, Larry comes in white suit. That's how they do it in Rio. And I would say the award for the most defensive accent goes to Larry Tudgman. Yeah, I don't think he's ever heard a, a Brazilian accent. No. Joe McGuire and Sam but McGuire yeah. are in costume as well. Can't you tell from Cousin Amy and Veruca that it's 20s? Like the pearls, the the headbands. It's uh, the 20s. Okay. Just just trust me. Okay. Don't contradict everything I say. But yes, Joe McGuire is a maid. Again, very Downton Abbey. So is uh, Ethan's stepmom. What about her? She's very Downton Abbey. Yes, because it's the 20s. Um, And then Inspector Pratt. Great, great little... uh. <laughs> Great little piece of fabric they found for him. Yes, an ode to Sherlock Holmes here. Totally. But that's that's really it, right? I mean, before the party, they're just in typical clothes. And then they're in their costumes for the rest of the episode. I think that's it. I think that's it. I think it's time to name our MVPs for the episode. All right, Marissa, who's your MVP this episode? I don't know. This was a really fun Really dynamic episode. I think that there are a lot of contenders. I think I'm going to give it to Joe McGuire. Joe McGuire, really? Yeah, for her commitment to the role and for her accent game. What about you, Sam? So I agree with you. There were many good contenders in this episode who were definitely worthy of the MVP. I I, I definitely strongly considered Ethan. Um, couldn't give it to him. Definitely loved Matt McGuire's limited action in this episode, but couldn't really give it to him either. And uh, the person that I'm actually going to give my MVP to in this episode is Kate, because Kate's out here trying to end the series right now. She's just, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm, I'm sick of this. Here's, you know what, Lizzie, I'm just going to tell you what's going on, and uh, hopefully you can do with it what you will, and Lizzie does nothing. But, you know, I appreciate Kate's effort. Um, I always like when Kate is uh, just not, you know, the one-dimensional character that they usually make her. And so, Kate, congratulations. You are my MVP this episode. That is a great pick. I almost want to change mine, but I'll stick with Joe. I was just thinking in the context of who really did the murder mystery party the best. Oh, Joe definitely did the murder mystery party the best. There's no, uh, I don't think there's any question. Like, Joe got... They all got into character, but Joe, I feel like, never broke character. And that's the mark of someone who's really dedicated to the murder mystery. She was out here to make sure that Ethan's party was great. Exactly. But in terms of the overall plot, you know, I've got to applaud Kate for trying to put an end to this nonsense. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> one way or another. It's not her fault that no one took the bait. Or I guess Lizzie specifically. But Lizzie knows. 
What will she do with that knowledge? Probably nothing. Yeah, at least nothing meaningful. <laughs> we'll just have to wait and find out. Oh, my God. How much waiting are we going to have to do? <laughs> I've been waiting since Shirani. We have about 12 episodes and a movie to go. I thought we were 10 episodes. Did more episodes materialize? Oh, okay. My math is... So there's 11 more. Okay, yeah. So there are 11 more episodes and a movie to go. <sighs> but Miranda will be back. Oh, thank God. Do you really think that your enjoyment of the show has plummeted without Miranda? I do. If every episode, especially if every episode becomes a, uh, you know, will, will they, won't they, <laughs> that's going to get old for me real quick, especially because there's no reason for it to be a will they, won't they, like Gordo has clearly, you know, he's clearly very ready to say how he's feeling. He just won't. It's true. It's like they don't know what to do with just Lizzie and Gordo. And with Miranda, you have a fun group dynamic. And now that she's gone, they're forcing romance into a situation where it's like a guy and a girl can be best friends without any romantic feelings involved like that is okay they don't have to suddenly love each other because they hit puberty but we will continue to follow this narrative and see where it goes for now that is a wrap on lizzie mcguire season two episode 23 clueless as always you can follow us at outfit repeat pod on twitter or email us at outfitrepeaterspodcast at gmail.com. As always, this episode will be available at our website, www.paginatedmedia.com slash outfitrepeaters, or wherever podcasts are available. Marissa's already mentioned that tomorrow she will be launching Older and Wiser, the podcast about younger that she's doing with Kelsey Rodkey. But I will also mention that on Thursday, uh, Ivan Vukovic... Carlin Greenwald and I are back with another episode of Crowning Around that you do not want to miss. It is a very, very fun episode of Crowning Around that I feel like nobody will expect. And so it is great. Yeah, we are bringing you content at Paginated Media three days a week. Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, Thursday. Indeed. Our empire is slowly <laughs> growing. Yes. And be sure, of course, to tune in next week when we discuss Season 2, Episode 24. Bye-bye, Hillridge Junior High.